Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas Montague calling you here from Sao Paulo, Brazil. We have another wonderful guest joining us, Nicholas Redman, calling us from Hiram, Utah. Hiram, Utah. How long have you lived in Utah? I've been in Utah for about 15 years now. 15 years. And before Utah? I lived in Indiana most of my childhood. Okay. I've never been to either of those places. (laughs) Never. They're very beautiful. Utah is full of national parks and and Indiana is full of a lot of greenery and, and humidity. I grew up in Northwest Missouri, so that's... Pretty boring, I think. I think Utah might be more exciting. I don't know. <laughs> I love St. Louis, so it's a good area. Not bad. Okay, okay, St. Louis. All right, today we're here to talk about your newly released book. Two days ago, you released a book called Tell Me About School, Sweetheart. And so we're going to talk about that with our audience today. I have some questions for you, but before we get into those, I would just like to give you a couple minutes to tell our listeners about your Christian testimony. Why are you a believer today? Yeah, so... I have been blessed to be in a home that had good morals and values, and I saw it bless my life my entire life. And I've had many of my brothers who, you know, in their childhood went astray, but I didn't have any experiences where I, I necessarily went astray from my belief. I always kind of knew it was there. And I've had experiences in my life that have helped me to believe in it further. And I've always had my, my Savior there to help me when I had problems, to rely upon Him for the atonement He did for us, He died for us. And when I have a lot of issues and, and, and things I'm struggling through, he's there to lift me. And so for me, I've always, I've always relied upon my Christian belief and I've, I've used it heavily in, in writing my, this is a psychology child's book and also writing other sequels, other, other, uh, sorry, not sequels, but young, young adult fantasy novels that are kind of based upon similitudes of the gospel. So kind of cool as well. Wow. Amazing. And how could you say that being a Christian helped you in your life rather than not being a Christian? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've had a lot of my friends who I've seen who are not active in, in our belief or who have kind of fallen away. And I've seen that they haven't had that that compass in their lives. And so for me, I was very young. I served a two-year mission in in Germany, not Brazil, but in Brazil. Germany. I was like, what? Amazing. Yeah, I have a lot that's of good. friends who lived in Germany or in, in Brazil, but okay. I was living in Germany for two years. And for me, that two years was like my compass for my whole life. I basically served. And I, I gave up my sacrifices for two years and I came back and I got married. I have uh, four kids, one in the way in a, in a few days from now. So I've had a whole very successful life. I'm a teacher. And a few of my friends who are not very active in, in their beliefs are just kind of working dead end jobs, not married yet, not kind of doing much in their life and seeing this belief really be a, a big, you know, compass for me. So that's amazing. Congratulations on the baby. Thank you. Is it a boy or a girl? 
a girl. I have four boys and a girl coming, so I'm excited for it. You know, some wow. kind of, uh, that's awesome. Coming. Congratulations. I had my first son last week. Oh man. So this How week is it? I'm I'm not sleeping very much. <laughs> but I'm good. I I'm I'm very blessed as well. I'm very thankful and God is so good. Excellent. Yeah, I think well, for me, like, you know, knowing that God's there is definitely through like when my my first son was born, like just mm-hmm. feeling that that soul come out. It's just, it's such an amazing experience for me. It is really like, I feel so much closer to God than I did before. And and I'm a missionary, you know, I spend time with God. I, I'm in his presence. I read my Bible all the time, but it's just unexplainable how much closer I feel to God. It's, it's wow. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It truly is. And you're a teacher. Tell us a little bit more about that. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. If you tried to become an author and you figured out how to get started but your process was stalled or selling books seems overwhelming, it's not your fault. The unusual way does not work for most folks. And that's why so many books end up in the graveyard. It's time to consider the unusual approach. The Robot Book Method has everything you need to publish and distribute your first book. Find more information at robotthebook.com or by searching outlineyournextbookchallenge.com. Hey entrepreneurs, have you ever heard of Profit Integration? They have a system called the Sales Accelerator Plus that gets you high quality leads without spending a ton of money on marketing or advertising. The owner Ray Jackson has written an ebook called The Profit Finder which consists of eight strategies you can use to generate profits without spending any money. And he's giving away a free copy to all listeners. Just go to increasesaleswithoutmoney.com forward slash ebook to get your free copy today. And you're a teacher. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I teach high school for the past six years. I teach German. I teach psychology. And I, I love it. You know, it's super fun to be here with the kids every day. I have, you know, 200 or 300 kids a day I, I teach. And wow. I always try and, you know, I wish I could teach some kind of religious element, but I always try and, you know, apply good quotes and things, you know, that I have helped my life in my classes. For example, in German class, I teach some lessons, you know, from what I've taught in Germany, like experiences I had that, you know, I had a mission and I've kind of implemented my class as like stories and things. So it's been kind of neat for me. Wow. So cool. And yeah, that that's amazing. What led you to write this book here? Tell me about School Sweetheart. Yeah, so uh, for me, I've been teaching my psychology classes for the past four years, and I'm always trying to think of ways to get the kids to get engaged in the material and the concepts. And I also have, you know, my own four children currently, and one coming soon. And I had experience with my son, who is the oldest. When he was about five years old, he came home from first grade or I think it was kindergarten then came from kindergarten and he had a, a really grumpy mood. He came home and I said, I always try and ask instead of saying, how was school, which is a, you know, good. I try and say, tell me about school today, sweetheart. And then they said, open an open book, you know, asking your students, you know, yes, no question or ask an open book question. So, you know, he just says good still. And he walks away grumpily. And then, you know, I feel bad because he doesn't want to talk to me. He has that grumpy attitude. He kind of pushed onto me. And then from there, you know, my, I don't feel as happy. My wife talks to me. I feel a grumpy and kind of the emotions from one person mm-hmm. shift to other people, which is called displacement in psychology. And a lot of my students, I've realized I've used it too. If they're, their family, they come home and their, their parents ask them how school was and they say good. And they walk away. Mm-hmm. Basically their goal is hanging on their friends, be their phone, not their family. And so I just wanted to create a really, um, 
you know, heartwarming story um, that apply to, you know, having happiness in life and, you know, being with your family and reducing this displacement emotions and instead of doing the whole feel good, do good phenomenon. And I was, that, that night I was like kind of thinking of the book, my son experience. And I was, I slept and I had a dream about like all this, you know, like what, what I should wow. write. I woke up and I, I wrote it all down. I have this all the time happen where I'm like, I can't sleep. I just, like it was four in the morning, I write it all down. So that's what I did. And I, and since then I basically kind of got illustrated, you know, and it's, it's, it's awesome. So pretty excited. Wow. How long ago was that? You said you're firstborn. So how old is he now? So he is now eight years old. He turns nine. Okay, so several years you've had this, this mentality, I'm going to write this book and you finally yeah. released it two days ago. Amazing. Yeah. I've been so busy of school, getting master's degrees and, and as a teacher, I just, I just, I want to start soon. Like I've helped my own kids in my classroom. I want to have kids outside my classroom, you know, kids mm-hmm. who I don't know personally, but you know, give them messages and give them hope. Wow. Very good. And I just want to read a little bit here for our, your blurb here for our, for our audience. Sam wakes up to find himself floating high above in his pajamas before he realizes what's happening. He is soaring to the ground. He stops right above his house, out walks another Sam identical to him, and he can't get a hold of the other Sam, and he even phases through him. And floating all day in his pajamas, Sam follows himself to find out why he's reliving his previous day and he learns the importance of being a good ripple to his family, friends, and teacher. So I like that this is a, you said you're bringing psychology into it. That makes it even more exciting for me. And talking about displacement, words like this, like that I don't really understand because I'm not in psychology. It's like, wow, this is intelligent. This is awesome. So what what else can you tell us about this book? Yeah, so... uh the goal here is to teach kids about the opposite of displacement. And displacement, of course, is if I'm angry at someone, I yell at someone, they feel bad, they yell at someone else. It's a chain of bad emotions, bad feelings. And a lot of times kids and their parents and siblings and, and unintentionally it happens. We don't know about it. So the goal is to teach kids early on. And so my own son, right, I'm teaching him now about displacement early on. So he knows how to get rid of it early on versus a lot of kids in high school, even adults don't know what displacement is. So for example, if a teacher walks in the classroom, they started to talk to the kids and they had a grumpy, they had a bad morning and they're kind of mean to their students, then the entire classroom feels bad and they go home to their families and it spreads emotions in their whole lives to everyone around them, that ripple, that bad ripple. And so my goal is the feel good, do good phenomenon. And so for my students uh, and in life is the goal is to make someone else feel good, like doing service, doing the Lord's work. And when someone else feels happy, they feel good, they do good, and it spreads at a good ripple. That's the opposite of displacement. And so that's my goal for my students and, my, and my, those reading the book is to teach kids early on to be authentic, to be real, to express their emotions. And to you know, once they've been authentic, is to be positive then and to enjoy every moment of their family. Wow. I mean, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. That is... It's straightforward. It's so good. And what would you say, what else could you talk about some psychology involved in this book? I'm sure you put some other things in there. Yeah, so the whole idea of uh, enjoying every moment, it's a big love of mine. And actually, with this book, is this the first book in my goal of a psychology children's books? And so like, it's the whole love life series I'm going to start creating of of trying to find ways to teach kids to put their phone down and to look around and and to go look into their family history and some kids who goes to school and he gets made fun of for wearing pink shoes and to, to be himself, you know, to, to love who he is. And so for this book, you know, one big part of it is to enjoy every moment. And, 
And with this is the idea like, uh, what is happiness? You know, and people try and think of happiness and look at the world of celebrities and, and think, oh, they're so happy because they have all the money in the world. But in reality, they're always getting divorced and they're always having these big issues and, and drug problems. But happiness is spending time with your kids. Happiness is getting off, get off your phone and, and, and being together face to face, not FaceTime, right? Happiness is that, that quality time spent. And so for my, my, this book, the last few pages is kind of looking at how the, the boy Sam in the story, he goes through the day again after he's been that, that ghost, watching himself make everybody feel bad, he goes back to the day again and makes everybody feel good now. Makes his mom feel good, his brother feel good, his dog, his teacher, and he sees the impact in the day. And also he's realizing that it's, it's better than Disneyland. It's, it's a day where he's actually spending it quality time and he's enjoying every moment of it. He's trying to see that happiness. And so a lot of us go through our lives every day and we basically just kind of like, oh, I'm at work today or I'm, I'm at school or I don't like this. And those emotions, those things we say, if I say the word hate, I don't say the word hate much because it has a lot of emotions to it. If we can just talk more positively, we also feel our behavior more positively. I want to spend more time with you. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good. It's so positive. I have another question for you. What would you say, you mentioned this a little bit about the, the children are always on their phones. And as my son, he's only nine days old now and this is a conversation my wife and i had today is that i don't want to be that parent that just puts an ipad in front of his face to make him stop crying how could this how does this type of parenting affect the child if you could say yeah so actually one of my goals in my class is to teach kids about parenting because mm -hmm. no offense to, to like hospitals and, and governments but usually you have a child you go to the hospital and you're basically told two things don't shake the baby and also, mm -hmm. you know, how, how the car seat works. It's all you're taught. And so for yeah. my goal in my classroom is teach the kids about the true four parenting types. And also, we also discuss curfews. We discuss phones, uh, opposite sex in the home, different things with these kids. Have them see, oh, I'm a parent mm -hmm. one day. I've, I've learned a little bit about being a parent because I am a foster parent. We've, we've, we've adopted one little boy in our home. We've had many kids come in at our home who have had terrible homes. And so my goal is to help kids out and to teach parenting styles. And so... This idea of having phones in front of kids or, you know, parents. So I think it's, it's a sad thing is there's a concept called a still face where if a kid comes to their mom and dad and they're on their phone or reading a book and their parents aren't giving that one-on-one -on -one attention, they're just seeing a parent with a still face. That child learns, you know, that, that emotional detachment, you know, unattachment from that parent. And so the same thing as well is that I, I, I mean, I think everybody's guilty for the first few, you know, the first child having some mistakes and so when my wife and I, our firstborn was, was around for about a year, we were busy both in school. And mm -hmm. so occasionally we had, you know, an iPad in front of him here and there, but it didn't help him in the slightest. It made him want more iPad, wanted more, he wanted more technology. And it's not any kind of good quality parenting time. Like kids don't need Mozart. Like they need mm -hmm. you, you know? So yeah, yeah. I see all the time at restaurants. This is the book idea to put uh, your phone down is, is kids are sitting there at a restaurant, their parents, and they're all on iPads. Or you see a bunch of kids hanging out at like a store or a restaurant or like a, like a movies and they're all on their phones, not spending that quality time together. So this, this book actually is like the, my son as well. It's not his fault. It's not him, but it's just using him an analogy. He basically sees himself in the future with his phone and seeing the impact on everybody around him when he has his phone out with those old kids, with his mm -hmm. friends. And then he sees himself again without a phone. And then basically he sees himself being like having more time, uh, being happier. 
like, I mean, my own students, if you, if you go your phone and you look at like the battery, you see how much time you use in your phone every day. It's sickening, right? Yeah. We used to do about two hours a day max. And it's like usually like seven or six hours, especially for teenagers. And it's just sad, sad how much time we've lost as humans these days. So my goal for you is like my, the end of this book is my boy gets a phone and in the, in the, in, as a Christmas present and he looks at it and he thinks, but I want this. And he goes, mom, can I have a screen time? password kind of screen time set for my phone he's going to set his own screen time so you can have the phone sometimes to do things he needs to do he's going to set a limit for himself and so for you you know as parent is set limits for your kids like my little boys now i have a bunch of i have four little boys and we set screen time we set limits we say 15 minutes a day of learning time only on these devices you know and after that time period no more time you know basically it's not mm -hmm. necessary for kids and do you have any fears with this? Like when, the, when your children get older, you know, they go out into the world and they will be the set apart children. They won't be like the other children. And that's my goal as a parent. I don't want my son to be like other kids. I want him to grow up in faith and to know the Lord and to understand love and, and those things. But what is your, your thoughts about later in life when they grow up and had these restrictions? Like the screen time restrictions you're saying? Exactly. Yes. Just that yeah. for now. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's important that as parents, we give our kids uh, flexibility and freedom mm -hmm. as well as giving them early on in life some restrictions. So as a parenting type, it's called authoritative. It's a mix between authoritarian and permissive. Permissive well, parenting this is, is a, parent I'm learning so much. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Permissive parenting are the parents who are just the ones who are the Disneyland parents who give their kids mm -hmm. all the love but no structure. And those, those parents love their kids, but there's no real goals or or kids don't strive for things because they have anything given to them, right? And that's the kind of parents who I have a, you know, some of my family who like, like they have no, like, like they have no, uh, there's like, there's like a, like, a, like a, a tumbleweed in the wind. They just blow different ways. They have nowhere to go, right? And so versus is authoritarian parent are the ones who have all rules, no love, or it's very little love shown. And like they have their way the highway and it's too strict for those kids. And so, the sad thing is those kids, when they leave their parents, they want to break free. And so if you have your kids with too much restrictions on them, they have no television, for example. They don't watch shows. If their kids are saying, hey, watch Mandalorian. You know, I have, I have Mandalorian over here. And so the kids, is if they don't know what these kind of things are, they're going to want to break free of this, leave their parents' house. And let's say their parents had religion in their home, right? These are my friends in high school who had very strict parents. They leave the house and they go crazy because they didn't want to live in that household anymore. And so they leave, they leave the faith, which is sad. The difference, the goal is to have that blend called authoritative, which is where you have structure. Kids need structure. They thrive in it. I've had kids in my home who were foster children, had no structure, come to my home, and they were stuttering. They were skinny. They would eat only chocolate milk and, and chips, right? They had this, all this nut structure in life and started thriving. They started to get chubby and they started talking fully and they started to potty train and these kind of things. And I've, you know, I have kids in the home who come in. You know, like, and then also, yeah, authoritative, the like goals as well as love. You show your kids love. And also if your kids are being good, like with their screen time, like they're, they're trustworthy, then you give them more privileges. You give them more time. And so the goal is you kind of are more strict in the beginning, like a teacher, the first day of class, a teacher, you're more strict. You set your rules down and over time, you kind of loosen up a little bit, but you still be consistent. Being consistent is the most important thing of parenting because the kids know your rules, you follow through with it all times and you love them. When they do be good things, you give them so much encouragement. That's, that's parenting. Man, we're going to have to do another episode of parenting. Come on. 
This is good. This is good stuff. Okay. What else can you tell us about your book? Maybe some of your favorite moments in the book. Yeah. So I think my favorite thing is the illustrations themselves. I am not an illustrator. I, I can make movies. I can I can write stories. I can uh, you know play pickleball. That's my favorite sport ever. But I don't know how to draw very well. And so I sent my Sydney uh, Sonians, who's the illustrator. I sent her pictures of my family because I wanted to have it be like my family in the story. And so she illustrated my family as the characters in the story. My wife and I, and my oldest boy, and my little my little boy who's second born. And that's my favorite thing ever is seeing my family. And also, I love the fact that like I read that story to my kids all the time now. I get I said the couch. It's almost like it's almost like scripture time. We're like we're telling a lesson, a story to help us get better. And so like we have scripture time. We also have important you know like lessons time of books that we love. And so the kids sit down and I ask all of them, what did you learn from this? What can you do in your life better from this book? And so to me, that's what I love the book is a scene, you know, like my son go from like kind of like that moody child, you know, mm-hmm. to learn about displacement and, and stopping that displacement in the book, which is neat. And so I'm excited for the more of the series of the kids' books to have my kids have more of these stories that are meaningful. Not just like books that are just like entertainment, but both, you know, stories that are entertainment, but also that mean a lot to them. Do you have a copy of the book with you right now that you can show the illustrations? I I don't have it right now, but I have it in PDF format. I can send you if needed to. Okay. But I, I, I was going to bring it because actually tomorrow in my class, we're discussing displacement in our motivation unit for psychology. I'm going to bring it the first time ever. I always, I always uh, verbally explain the story. Now I'm going to show the illustrations of the kids as I read the story to them, to my own high school. So this book is for all ages, honestly. It's like- That was my like, next question. What, like the reading level in the book, what is that like? Yeah, so it's a it's a little different than a, a normal child story. It's two thousand words, and a normal child story is like a few uh, sentences or a few words on each page. This book has like a paragraph or two per page. It's more like a parent and a family reading together. Mm-hmm. It's a family book, is what it is. And so, uh, you know, that's to me is a little it's a little different. But there's a there's a book called The Giving Tree that I just like as a kid. I just like loved. I read it, and it's the you know the, the tree basically like gives himself to the person who comes. Like he gives him like apples. He gives them the branches for his home. He gives them like leaves for certain things. He like gives them his everything. Even at the very end of the guy's dying, it's like a stump for him to sit on to get more life. It's just a giving tree, always being selfless. And so this has never left my head is this like lesson book. And so it's a little longer than most books this book is. And so that's why this book I wrote a little longer than, you know, than like a five-year-old read themselves probably, but mm-hmm. it was more of that family kind of, you know, all age. And kind of. that's important too, right? Getting around that family. I like what you said, scripture time. Can you explain that as well? What does that look like in your family? Yeah. So for me, we have like animated scriptures for my kids when they're young. We also try and, you know, read, you know, through all of like Old Testament right now. We're just kind of plowing through it, going through Exodus right now. So for me, my kids, like I want to have every day, on our knees after scripture time, you know, is that, that on our knees praying to our heavenly father. And also we have in our home, that scripture time where we spend like 10, 15 minutes. It's hard with little kids. It really is hard with little kids. We try and spend that quality family time with our heavenly father, with God. And we say prayers together. And so for me, that that's every day at the end of the day, we end our day with God. And so that's, that's very important. Also, my kids have learned hopefully in their own is to say prayers in the morning, you know, and, and before they eat and, you know, in their heart the whole day. But to me, it's, it's like, I try and have at least once a week, a family night with my kids. So it's like a, an hour long, you know, we have like games, we have a longer lesson, but every day we have the fa- we have scripture time with my kids. I want to clap. This is amazing. Come on. This is so good. 
It's like, it's like to me, like you like are probably asking like, why, why am I Christian today? Like why Mm -hmm. is it important? Like if you see consistency and morals and values to get your kids in this rapidly changing world, like it's so important to have the gospel. And like, I see some of my friends who have kids now and I I feel bad for them. If they don't have religion in their lives, they don't have God in their life because they don't have a compass. They don't have, like you're in the woods, you're lost. But if I'm in the woods, I know where to go. I, I have a I have friends who just are circling constantly, never having anything to do. And my kids, like, I want the best for my kids. It's so important. And I, as, a, as a religious believer, like, we sacrifice our time as missionaries and and tithing, and and and, and like, it makes us have the time we have left over spent better. You know, it makes us every avenue makes you a better person. You know, amazing. It's been so good to talk with you. I don't want to end the podcast. I would just keep just keep giving us stuff. Come on. What else do you got? I'll tell you a story about one time I had when I was in when I was in college that I had an experience where I just knew that God was there. And this is one of the experiences you have where you have an experience and you just like really you think like, man, I have to give back, you know. And so in Utah, I used to live in St. George, which is near near Las Vegas. It's a, two hours from Las Vegas, and it's the southern part of St. George, very very dry. But I was going to a school up north in Provo, Utah, about four hours, and there was a bad snowstorm. And I was getting back to to uh, Provo to go to school, and I was driving a little Camry, sorry, Corolla, a car, not very good in the snow. And I had to go to school the next day. So I was driving in the, in the, in the, in the, on the highway and it started to snow and it was just bad. The point where I'm not very good at driving and I'm kind of scared about driving in the snow. And then I saw a car start to veer off the road, off the highway, all around me. And I just started driving really slow and I was, I'm scared to drive off the road because I feel like I get stuck. And I couldn't get out. And it'd be hours, days probably because of the blizzard. It was bad. And I just prayed. I just prayed, please help me get home. Right. And suddenly in front of me, I saw taillights. I saw taillights appear and I could finally see the road and my way home. And so for hours, I just got really close to these taillights and I followed it all the way home. I never saw the car. I just knew that this was God's taillights and basically he was leading me home. And so for me, like he got me through that snowstorm. I go to give, give back. So kind of cool. Amazing. Does it snow often in Utah? I guess I didn't know that. Utah has one of the best snow for skiing. It's very, very snowy in the northern part of Utah. Like Salt Lake City is very, very big on snow on uh, skiing and snowboarding. So interesting. I've always I didn't like Missouri very much because it always snowed so much. And now living in Brazil, it never snows. It's always <laughs> nice weather. So, do you like the snow? I I actually do. I, I my mission was in Germany where I got snow there. I grew mm-hmm. up in Indiana where there was snow as well, humidity. But, you know, I moved to St. George for a few years in high school, and it was like a climate change from humidity to dryness. And I always wanted to live for climate change because, you know, my kids, like Christmas time, seeing snow, Mm -hmm. and I always loved like playing in the snow. And so for me, I moved to Cache Valley, Utah, northern Hiram, Utah, about six hours from St. George, the northern part of Utah now, for the region of snow because it's it's a rural area, it has good religious beliefs here, and Every single year, it snows heavily, and it's fun because if it's cold and there's no snow, you can't really do it outside. But if there's snow, you can go out your side with your kids. And you can play in the snow, and it's April right now, but we've had snow the last two days in in Utah. And we, my kids went outside, and we played. We had a, a snowball fight, and we 
it was a lot of fun. So to me, it's like that that bonding in the summer and the, all the different seasons mm-hmm. you get up in Utah. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, that is true. If it's cold out and there's no snow, it, it's miserable. But if you have yeah, some snow miserable. and you don't have to drive, of course, then it's fun. Then it's good. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners today from your time here? Uh, I think, you know, you know, I'm, my goal is to, you know, be a teacher and a, and a good parent. And with, as an author, I'm, I'm trying to write more and more in my, my whole life. I've wanted to write, write stories and I always have so much in my head creativity wise. And so this, this, you know, one more idea I have is not, it's not like a sort of like a, um, really simple short message, uh, story, but this, this, uh, fantasy novel I'm writing is, it's called Tempest. It's a, a epic of Phelan series I'm writing. It's actually being published next month. It has a beautiful cover on it of a guy looking like uh, an ocean. And there's a bunch of uh, ships coming towards him to invade. And basically, he doesn't know who he is. Basically, he grew up with adopted parents. And he's not sure of his destiny. And so it's kind of a cool story about you know people like Judas, who you know was a, betrayed Jesus Christ, and, and stories of you know, redemption. And basically the entire story is this man, he's actually an elf. Basically his goal is to reunite the 12 tribes, which is an, of course, an analogy of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so each tribe is a different species, uh, the elves and the, the dwarves and the centaurs and different species I've created called Gories and Kunigans and different species I've created. And it's kind of fun to, to use my love, which is gospel and to apply it to a fantasy world, which is my goal to hook people into the, to this fantasy world but also teach them gospel lessons, you know, gospel principles. Yeah. Kind of like psychology is, class, same thing. Is that a higher level book as well? So it's young adults. So it's basically starting readers of you know, about 12 years old all the way till, you know, older adults. So that's where it starts. Great. Thank you so much for your time here. I, I'm lit up. I'm having a great time here. <laughs> Please come back when you release these other books. Come back, tell our audience about it. And where can we find this book? Tell me about School Sweetheart. Yeah, great. So you can find this on Amazon, searching Nicholas Redman or tell me about school today, sweetheart. You know, if you want to find more books coming out, I have a website called redmanbooks.org and it's redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N, books.org. I also have a Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, you know, all those kind of things. I'm kind of using for my Redmond Books uh, company. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, you guys can find all of those links below. You can click on those in the description of the post here today. Again, it's been wonderful to have you. If I can have you end our time together with a prayer, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Our dear, kind, heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we've spent together to talk about you and your ministry. And, and please, please help this, this podcast, help those who are seeking for you, to those who are lost in snowstorms, who needed your light to get through. Please help this book to serve those and families who need more happiness and those who need to learn the true meaning of, of Christ. Bless those who are sick and afflicted. Be there for the missionaries in the world. We love you so much and we ask for thy blessing. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. 
with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.